Well, good morning. I don't know exactly what your morning has been like getting into this place this morning, but uh, it's been a little chaotic in my life this morning. So I'm going to actually just have us pause for one more moment and give you some time to silently pray, to ask God to remove anything that might distract you from hearing what he has to say to you today and to focus in on his message this morning. So would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we have come this morning to hear from you, to allow the truth of your word to penetrate our lives. God, I pray that the things that are going on in our head, our hearts, our minds, that might distract us from hearing that, that you'd remove those. That God, we could set those down for just a minute to hear what you have to say. And God, I pray that the truth of your word would transform our lives. That God, the words you speak would give us the courage, the power, the faith to step out and take a gospel to a world that needs to hear it. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am so excited you're here this morning. I know it's just a Sunday, but it's a new sermon series for us, and it's one that I'm really excited about. It's kind of my heart in ministry. And we're going to be talking for the next five weeks about how what we do over time impacts the faith of the next generation. About how the time, the love, the stories, the fun that we have with a kid over time can impact their faith and impact their relationship with Jesus. And so just so you know, I am openly stealing from a book called Playing for Keeps. So it's by Reggie Joyner and Kristen Ivey. If you want to read it, it's great because there's like 50 words per page. I mean, it's got pictures. I'm like, anytime you get to read a book as an adult that has pictures, it makes me feel good. So I'm stealing some of their thoughts and ideas, but then a lot of the content is my own. So just so you know that. And for those of you who are like, oh man, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. I don't even like kids. Or maybe I like my own kids, but I don't like anybody else's kids. I want you to tune in for, with me for a minute. Because we need you. Empty nesters who think you're done, we need you. The parents inside this church need you. Our kids need you. Our community of faith needs you. Because what you have to share is a story or multiple stories about how God has worked in your life. And when a kid finds it hard to believe in a God they can't see, what they can believe in is someone who trusts in that God who stands right in front of them and gives them enough faith in that moment to plant a seed of faith that will grow. They need to see adults who trust God so that they can trust God on their own. So as we dig in to this reality and this kind of journey together over the next five weeks, I want you to think about the idea of time. Time is our most valuable commodity. You'll never get it back. It is ticking away right now. You are spending time that you will never get back as you sit here and listen to me talk. 
There's no like customer service center where you take your time and you're like, hey, this last like 30 days, I didn't like it. I want to return it and I'd like to get it back and start all over again. There are no time customer service centers. It is ticking away. And the psalmist and the authors of scripture are quick to remind us of that reality. If you listen to the words of Psalm 39, the author says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting is my life. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is just a breath. That's not very wide when I start thinking about how long my life is. He continues in Psalm 140, verse 4. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. The other authors of Scripture join in. James in the New Testament says, Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to go to a certain town and stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. We don't like to think about the temporariness of life and time and what we have, but the truth is it's passing by, moment by moment, and we're not going to get any of those moments back. I think it's why the psalmist says in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. If only I had something that I could number my days with. Each one of these balls, there are, were 936 of them in this bin, represents one week in the life of a kid. There are 936 because from the time your, your child is born to the time they turn 18, you have 936 weeks. So CJ and Mariah, if you're watching online, you got 934 left. How are you going to spend them? And the reality is for the others of us, some of us go, uh, this is a little harder to listen to because you might be in a boat like me where your jar isn't quite so full anymore. And as Josiah gets ready to turn 14, I have 214 weeks left before he turns 18. What are we doing with our time? Each week is passing by, and we're not going to get those weeks back. You see, why does birth to 18 matter? It's because parents... From birth to 18, research shows you are the most significant influence in your kid's life. Whether you feel that way or not, trust me, at 11 and 14, I don't always feel like they're listening to me. But we're the most significant influence in their life. We're the most significant influence in their life because we have 3,000 hours on average per year with them. 3,000 hours to watch TV, to have meals together, to go on vacation to do what we do as a family. How are you spending the time you have? How are we spending those 3,000 hours? If you're curious how that compares, if you have an elementary school student here in the state of Illinois, yes, I did the math, it's 1,144 hours in the course of a year 
that your kid's elementary school teacher will spend in a classroom with them. That's a third of the influence you have. So where's the church fit in? Your kid's pastor will spend 48 hours a year with your kid. That's if you make church attendance all but four weeks in a year, right? No guilt, no shame. We're not trying to put any pressure on anybody. But if you only miss four Sundays a year, your kid's church, kid's pastor, your church's kid's pastor gets 48 hours. Anybody else depressed yet? Mom's crying. Dad's trying to figure out how many days do I have left? These numbers are jarring. They're shocking to us, right? Because we're not getting them back. We can dream and imagine and pretend that our babies will always be our babies and they will never grow up. But the truth is, every week, time keeps passing and the basket gets less full. And what are we doing with those? So we can pretend or we can listen to the advice of the psalmist that says, teach us to number your days, to make them count so that we can gain wisdom, we can be focused on the things that matter. Back to those of you who I am afraid might be tuning out because you're like, I don't have kids, this doesn't matter, I don't have 3,000 hours a year. These parents can't do it alone. You might remember you probably didn't do it alone when you were in it. We need a group of people. We need people to come alongside of us as parents. We need people to come alongside our kids. Research shows that if a kid has five adults other than their parents, so parents don't get to be one of the five. They need five on top of their parents. They're much more likely to be healthy, to grow up, to be successful, to be focused on the things that matter. We need adults who are going to know our kids' names. We need adults who are giving input and guidance to our kids' lives. I need adults who know my boys' hopes and dreams and who walk alongside of them in that. I need adults who know their quirks, their good points and their bad points and love them regardless. I need adults who can have hard, honest conversations. And our parents need adults who can have hard, honest conversations with our kids when they think we don't know anything and they don't want to talk to us. I need five adults who I know are praying for my boys. I think the real question at the heart of this entire series is what's the faith of the next generation worth to us? What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? I think there's only one acceptable answer to that. And that answer is everything. The faith of the next generation is worth everything. Because can we be real honest? If we don't invest in that, when you and I cease to exist and our lifespan is that wide, this place closes. There is no faith. The faith of the next generation has to be worth everything to us. 
And if the faith of the next generation is everything, that means we have to be intentional about how we include kids and students into the life of the church. It means we have to prioritize our lives differently. It means we have to get out of our comfort zones and step in and help. Maybe it means this week what you need to do is learn one kid's name. Because time's still ticking and the bin's getting emptier. And some of you are thinking, I, I don't have anything to offer a kid. You don't know who I am. You don't know my story. You don't, I don't have anything. I can't do that. I want to tell you about a guy named Doug. And I haven't got through this story yet. Doug's a welder. Kind of a normal, everyday guy. Doug would hate that he, I'm talking about him right now if he knew it. Doug had three kids of his own, worked hard, provided for his wife and his kids. One day, Doug walked up to me and he said, hey, Jason, do your boys like to fish? I said, I sure hope not because I hate it. <laughs> and he said, that's okay. Would you mind if I took them fishing? I said, that'd be great. Turns out my boys, at least Ethan, loves to fish. Josiah tolerates it. And I'm not sure how much fishing happened every time Doug took them out. But in Minnesota, you can fish all year round. You can ice fish. You can fish off the shore. You can go out to a lake and fish off the boat. And Doug gave them a wide experience of all of that. I think more often than not, they just stuck the radar in the hole in the ice fish and they looked for where the fish were coming and then I don't know that they ever got a fish or they were too busy throwing snowballs in the other ice fishing holes and seeing how many you could get in. I know they ate a lot of junk food that mom and dad don't let them eat because Doug took them out and stopped at the gas station on the way to go fishing because you got to have snacks while you fish, I guess. Maybe I could get behind the snack part of fishing, I don't know. But what Doug did in the life of my boys was show them they were worth investing time in. And that time never went the way they thought it would. It never went the way Doug thought it would. The last time they went out before we moved, they went out and they got right to the fishing hole and the boat engine died and they ended up rowing themselves back to shore. But that impact he made when Doug's wife Sue came to visit us when we moved here, the boy's first question was, is Doug coming? Do you think we can go fishing? We won't tell Sue that. But I think Paul models this exact same thing for us in his relationship with Timothy. Because when an adult invests time over a period of time in the life of a kid, they give that kid history. They give that kid a chance to look back and see all the ways that that relationship has changed, all the stories they can tell. And as we invest time over time in the life of kids, they have history. And that's exactly what Paul did for Timothy. Now, if you're not familiar with who Paul and Timothy are, let me tell you real quick, Paul was a guy who was not a Jesus follower. Actually, he persecuted the church for a long time. He stood and watched Stephen, the first martyr, die. And then Paul encountered Jesus. 
And something changed. Something changed in Paul's life. And Paul became different. Paul ended up being maybe the biggest church planter in the early church, traveling all over what we would call Turkey, planting churches in different towns, raising up disciples in different places, and training them. Paul ends up writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. I'm not super good at math, but that's over half. And this guy, everywhere he went, he took time to invest in someone. And maybe the one that we have the best recorded history of is Timothy. So if you've got your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and pull them out. We're going to open up to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is towards the back of your Bible. Maybe, uh, I don't know, if you look at mine, it's like nine-tenths of the way towards the back. General, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Then five Ts, 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy. You get to Titus, you went too far, go back to the front. Or you can open up your phone, just turn to 1 Timothy, it'll be great. Or 2 Timothy. And we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 3. And what I want you to notice, what I want you to see, and what I want you to wrestle with and look at is how the investment of time in Timothy's life over a period of time changed Timothy's eternity. Because I think the same thing is going to be true for our kids. So 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. You see, as Paul invested time over time in Timothy, Timothy's story becomes known. And as we invest time over time in the life of a kid, that kid's story is known. You see, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul first meets Timothy, Paul discovers that Timothy's mom is a Jewish believer. Timothy's dad's a Greek. It's as a result of Timothy's grandma and Timothy's mom, that Timothy has faith. Paul's seen that develop in Timothy's life. He's heard the stories. Paul knows Timothy's mom's name. He knows Timothy's grandma's name. He can speak into that story that God has been working through Timothy's life. He invites Timothy to travel with him, to see what he does, to spend time with him, to follow after him. And it's in that that he begins to mentor him. He teaches Timothy how to preach and how to teach and how to do what he does. As Timothy grew, Paul gives him more opportunity. In Acts chapter 17, Paul leaves Timothy behind in Berea to teach the disciples there as Paul moves on. You see, Paul saw something in Timothy and so he invites him to come along so he can invest in his life. Paul didn't just know the good things about Timothy. He knew the weaknesses too. He knows that he's timid. He knows that he's shy. He knows that he needs to be encouraged to speak out for his faith. He also knows that he's got some physical stuff going on with his stomach. He gives him instructions for that at the end of his letter. He knows the details of Timothy's life. 
It's this investment that makes it so hard for Timothy to say goodbye when Paul's got to go on. But it's because Paul knew Timothy's story that he can commend him to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, 17. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. This is a big deal, right? The church in Corinth, that's where we look when we want to feel better about our church, right? Whenever you feel like, oh my gosh, is everything falling apart in the church I'm attending, whether that's Great Oaks or wherever else you are attending, you just go back and go, we're not as bad as Corinth. We're we're doing okay. And Paul says, I'm sending my son, the one I've mentored, the one who's my spiritual son, I'm sending him to you because I know he can handle it, because I know where Timothy's come from, because I know his story You see, not only does it help, a, help us know a kid's story, when we invest time over time, kids can experience true encouragement. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands on you. Paul's saying, Timothy, I know what you can do. I know the gifts God's given to you. Isn't it different? When somebody who really knows us encourages us. Relationship matters. It matters to us as adults. It matters even more to kids. The truth is there's one voice that will always be louder in my life about what I do. And that's Dr. Bieberstein. He was my academic advisor through all of my undergrad. At that time, he had 25 years of ministry experience, and he shared with us everything he knew. He's the one who first taught me how to preach. He made an investment in my life. And every once in a while, he'll watch online. He'll find a, find a sermon on YouTube, and he'll give me a call, or he'll send me an email, and he'll say, hey, I watched you. You did well. You handled the word of God well. And to be honest, If I walk out of here today and everyone in this room said, you know what, we hated that sermon. And Dr. Bieberstein called me this week and said, you did well. You handled the truth of God's word well. That's the encouragement I need. Not because you don't matter, but because he had such a significant role in my life. You have people like that too, who when they speak into your life, you stop and you listen Imagine how much Timothy's face gleamed when Paul said these words about him in Philippians chapter 2. If the Lord is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others only care for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he served me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. Can you imagine? That's recorded forever. In the pages of history, in the pages of scripture, Paul, Timothy's mentor, saying, listen, I have no one else who's going to love you as well as Timothy loves you. 
If your mentor said that to a group of people about you, it like changes who we are. It speaks deep into the core of our being. But it's not just about encouragement in these relationships. As we invest time over time in the life of a kid, that kid is more likely to receive challenge from us. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. He's reminding Timothy, Timothy, I know your natural habit, habit or inclination is to be timid. But let me remind you, God's given you a spirit of power, a spirit to go out and teach and to instruct and to lead with. Don't be timid, Timothy. When you're in that place and you need someone to like push you a little bit, challenge you, step in and be like, hey, listen, I think you're being a little bit too this way or that way. You should be doing these things. When that's someone who doesn't know you very well, how do you respond to that? I don't know about you, but I tend to bristle just a little bit. Like, who are you? You don't get to tell me what I'm supposed to do or what I'm not supposed to do. But when somebody who I know loves and cares for me, who has my best interest, who has walked through life with me, who knows my story, who offers encouragement, comes and says, hey, Jason, you need to do this. You need to stop that. That's not healthy. It's not, it's not good. And you need to do this. I'm like, I need to listen to that. And I need to rise up to the challenge. Because this person speaks truth. Lastly, when we invest time over time in the life of a kid, we give that kid credibility. Again, back to the church in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says this, when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me. I expect him to come with the other believers. Paul says he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Timothy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not doing it just like you, Paul. Uh, that's a lot. I'm not ready for that. Paul says, no, Timothy, that's exactly what you're doing. Just like I do God's work, you're doing God's work. Great Oaks, you have a history of being great at this. My guess is you can't remember a time when you came in and worshiped and there wasn't a high school or middle school kid on this stage leading you. Because someone has walked alongside those kids and said, hey, you know what? I see a talent in you. I see an ability in you. I believe you can do this and you're ready for it. Maybe one of the coolest ways that I've been able to see it happen in the last couple months happens right over here in our Kidstown area. First of all, I hope all of you understand if we didn't have middle school kids investing back into elementary kids and high school kids investing into middle school kids and adults investing into all of them, this program would never happen. But maybe one of the coolest things is they have lights and some music and different things that they do in large group time. And there's a sixth grader named Josiah Baker. And Josiah runs the lights over here. And that's great. 
It's awesome. Josiah does that. Somebody believed in Josiah. But Josiah said that's not enough. And so Josiah took a fourth grader who he knew loved like engineering and putting those things together and seeing that sequencing. And so now when the bakers leave, and we're all going to be sad about that, but when the bakers leave, those kids will still have lights because Lucas will be there every Sunday morning to make sure they have lights. To make sure that the kids don't see a difference in their experience, at least when it comes to lighting. I can't tell you how many times this like last six months, my son has come home and said, hey dad, this high school kid shared their story at Breakaway this Wednesday. And it was amazing. Do you, can you believe God did this in this kid's life? They're listening. They're watching. And church, you've done a great job at it. And I can say you because I wasn't here for most of it. I want to invite up one person, maybe you know, uh, who you've done a really good job developing. Her name is Lexi Mata. And so Lexi, if you would join us this morning up here, I want to invite Lexi to share a little bit of her story with you. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so Lexi, tell us a little bit about your story, how you came to Great Oaks, how long you've been here, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I started coming to Great Oaks in very late 2017. Um, I was 16 years old when I started coming. Um, I started coming by myself, um, without my family. And I started coming because I had just gone through a pretty rough time um, in my life. I had just gone through a pretty rocky breakup. <laughs> um, and so I kind of just felt um, this hopelessness and kind of like I didn't have a place um, where I went to school and I just felt this sense of even just like worthlessness. And so I came here just hoping to find something. Um, I knew it was the church down the road. Um, my family had been here a couple times um, in the past, but never consistently. And so um, I started coming kind of hoping that maybe if I came, this God that I didn't even really fully believe existed would help me um, in what I wanted. <laughs> Um, what I wanted because I wanted things to go my way um, after the breakup, but they didn't. And so I kind of just came hoping that maybe something would happen or I'd meet someone, but I was fully by myself. Ethan knows about this breakup. There's no like drama we need to unpack. <laughs> he up does. Okay, all right. <laughs> yes. just want to make sure this could get rough all of a sudden. So. <clears throat> so Lexi, who were the adults who invested time in you over the course of time? Yeah, so there were a couple adults um, in my youth group that really invested in me and just to name a few, um, Chris Genders invested in me a lot. <laughs> I cried a little bit first service. I didn't want to cry second service. Don't look at him. It makes it worse. <laughs> um, Jenny Daniel, she invested a lot in me. Um, Brandon Lambius, my old youth pastor, and um, Janelle Hogue, who was another um, leader at Culture Shift. And how did they invest in you? So Jenny was a huge one. Um, Jenny, she scouted me out my first time coming to Culture Shift, the very first night I was there, she knew that I was new, and so she asked my name, and she wanted to know who I was. Um, she immediately, she wanted to know my story. She wanted to know, you know, what I needed prayer for. Um, she was a huge, um, she had a huge impact just 
on me as a person and just wanting to know who I was instantly felt like I had a place. And I had been searching and didn't felt like I didn't have a place um, in high school, but at Culture Shift, I felt that way. And I mean, Brandon, he was my matter of fact person. If I was messing up or doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, he was always like, hey, you're doing this and you need to stop. And so he was my, Janny was my like gentle love and Brandon was my tough love. Yeah, that's great. So this is not a scripted question, but do you remember <laughs> anything they taught you? Any of the lessons Brandon taught? Yeah, there were um, oh. quite a few that I remember having a huge impact on my faith. It's, it's interesting because I think that's what we think, right? We have to teach the right things. We have to spend all that. But at least in your beginning opening of what they did, it wasn't anything that they taught. It was about mm -hmm. how they invested relationally in you. Yeah, yeah. And so, like I say, your responsibilities have grown a little bit since 2017. Uh, you've little. done a little bit more. So <laughs> how did that happen? How did that investment over time get you to where you are today? Yeah, so um, when I first started coming here, I just started coming as a Culture Shift um, student, and I didn't really have anything going on, but I started posting videos on Instagram of me singing just to have some fun. And Who else posts pictures of themselves on video game, Instagram singing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't do that either. So. Yeah, <laughs> so I posted videos of me singing, and um, Peyton Grantham saw one of those videos, and she was on the worship team at the time, and she um, showed our worship pastor and wanted to get me on. But I had no interest in worship. I did not want to be on the stage. I was perfectly fine behind a camera in my room by myself. Um, so... I did reluctantly try out for the team, even though I did not want to. Um, and so I just started out in breakaway, singing, moving to Culture Shift, moving to main stage, and even growing to volunteer in breakaway and Culture Shift um, as a student leader. And then a few years later, getting offered an internship by Kevin, and then now into my role now. Into the Associate's Next Gen Director. Yeah. So congratulations <laughs> on you. that new role. And so, yeah, <laughs> applaud that. So how has this investment that these adults have made in you over time prepared you for this opportunity now for you to invest in kids? Just their um, constant encouragement was huge. It was um, specifically Janny would constantly push me to just grow and to step out a little further um, than the last time. So I told this story in first service, we would go to ice camps and she would challenge me to just talk to the worship leader or talk to somebody or do something and just constantly making me, not making me, but challenging me to take these steps to grow and to push myself a little um, to where I was a bit uncomfortable, but knowing that it would grow me in my faith. And I think that really prepped me um, just to be involved in these kids' lives, specifically Janie. She was, she was amazing. That's awesome. So this is a little off the sermon topic, but we have you up here with a microphone. So it seems a little <laughs> odd to not ask this question, but what are you most excited about as you step in and begin working with the kids in Kidstown and all the teens here at Great Oaks? What's most exciting to you right now? The most exciting thing is the relationships that I will get to develop, not only with kids, but with volunteers. Um, I've been managing volunteers with worship for a little bit, but just being able to manage Kidstown volunteers and make those relationships with adults, but also continue relationships with kids, because um, I work at Metamora Grade School, and some of those kids actually come to Kidstown, and so leaving my role at Metamora Grade School, but still continuing those relationships and just seeing a lot of younger kids I know grow up will be super cool. That's awesome. Lexi, thank you so much for being here. So appreciate you sharing your story. <clears throat> What I want you to see in Lexi's story, what I want you to think about in Lexi's story is that that didn't happen overnight. 2007 to 2022, 
2017 to 2022. That's a period of time. The truth is when you try to invest in the life of a kid, sometimes they're going to be like, stranger danger, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? If you try to invest in the life of a teenager or high schooler, the first time they're going to be like, who are you? And why are you here? Maybe they'll just grunt at you. That's how my kid greets me every morning. I just get grunted at. I'm like, that's not English. (laughs) And there's going to be ups and downs along that journey. But here's what I know. And I know it from watching the forces of nature happen as my family would vacation along the North Shore up where Lake Superior uh, hits the shore in northern Minnesota. And along that shoreline are a bunch of rocks. It looks just like this. And if you've never been there, I would encourage you to go take a look. But those rocks, every one of them, are as smooth as my head on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And the water has constantly washed over them. It's reformed them. Not overnight, but over time. As that water hits and pulls back off those rocks, the rough edges are smoothed out. That rock begins to change shape. That rock begins to look a little bit different. And as we invest time over a period of time into a kid's life, the same thing happens to their life. It begins to shift the rough edges begin to get smoothed off. They begin to grow and to see who God has made them to be. They realize they have a purpose, they have a place, and their eternity changes. How are we investing our time in the life of a kid over time? If we can be honest, I don't think there's anybody in the room who doesn't want somebody to invest in them, right? I don't care how old you are. If somebody knows your name, somebody knows your story, somebody challenges and encourages you, we all love that. But Great Oaks, here's my dream. What if every kid, not every kid at Great Oaks, what if every kid in Germantown, Metamora, and Washington had five adults on their team? What if every one of them knew they had a team of adults who was going to walk alongside of them? Who when life got hard, they had somebody to go to. And what if at least one member of every one of those kids' teams called Great Oaks home? We would change the eternity of our community. We would change kids' lives. And if you think, I don't have anything to offer, maybe what you've got is some time in a fishing boat to make some memories. So as we walk through this series, I've got five questions for you over the next five weeks. I don't know that they'll change much. I just want you to think about them and I want you to be honest about them. One, who's your Timothy? Who are you investing in? Who's younger than you? Maybe it's not a kid. Maybe it's a teenager. Maybe you're like, I'm 80. I don't have time for teenagers. But maybe you can invest in a 20 or a 30-year-old who will invest in a teenager. It trickles down. Who are you going to invest in and see developed? I would tell you if you're 80, you still have something to offer a kid or a teenager. That's just my own bias. 
Who's your Paul? Who's investing in you? Who are you allowing to speak into you, to challenge you, to be there when your life hurts? We haven't talked about question three yet, but we'll get there next week. Who's your Barnabas? Who's that person who's in the same life stage? Your kids are the same age. You're dealing with the same stuff and you're walking beside each other, encouraging each other, pushing each other forward, sharing life together. I think those are three relationships all of us have to have. We have to have a Timothy, we have to have a Paul, and we have to have a Barnabas. Question number four. I answered it for you the way I answer it, but I want you to think about this over the next five weeks. What is the faith of the next generation worth to you? To you as an individual, what's their faith worth? And does how you live your life reflect that truth? And lastly, every week you get one marble. How are you going to invest this week in the next generation? What are you going to do this week to let some kid know that they matter? Because the truth is, when we gather together next week, that marble's gone. And we have to start all over again. What are we going to do over time to invest in the lives of our kids? Will you pray with me? God, I am so thankful. Thankful for the adults who saw something in me and invested in me. Thankful for the adults who've come alongside my boys and invested in them. Thankful for the opportunities you give for us to invest in kids all around us. God, I pray that you'd give us eyes to see. To see the kids who are all around the ones who stand out in the front and the ones who hide in the corners. God, give us eyes to see. Give us wisdom to know how to best make that investment. Give us courage to look at our own calendars and see how they need to change. But God, I pray that as followers of you, we would take seriously our need to invest in the next generation. And that God, that over time, you would use each and every one of us and the gifts that you've uniquely given to us to make a difference in the life of a kid. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.